Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Paul McLeod, politics editor for BuzzFeed Canada. Welcome back to Canada Land Shortcuts. It's so nice to be back. Today we're going to be talking about what is happening in Fort McMurray. And we're going to talk about Justin Trudeau's visit with Vice to Shoal Lake 40. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, thanks. Lots to talk about. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Martin Von Waveren, Michael Bone, Stuart Bailey, Stefan Deschenes, Le Petit Ours, Nick Bouchart, Jimmy Thompson, and Greg Heptenstall. Greg, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I felt that Canada Land lifted the entire tone of media criticism in, in Canada. And it was something that was sorely lacking and that I was being let down by their intellect. So we're the go-to source. Paul, we have a new sponsor today. I don't know if you're like an Etsy guy. Do you manage any kind of online craft store? I rock the occasional artisanal quilt. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me let me give you a tip for expediting shipments of your artisanal quilts. ShipStation is what you want to use if you're selling stuff online, getting your orders out the door. It can be tricky. And whether you're selling on eBay, Amazon, Shopify, or Etsy, or 65 other popular selling channels, ShipStation brings all of your orders into one simple interface and makes it very easy to manage them on any device, from your smartphone, from your tablet. 
And then you use ShipStation to create your shipping labels, all the top carriers, Canada Post, UPS, FedEx, it's all compatible. You will ship more in less time. You'll get the best rates available. It is the number one choice of online sellers in North America. And Paul, I have a special offer for you in your quilt business. Go to shipstation.ca right now. You get it free for 30 days. And for listeners of this show, a special bonus when you use the offer code CanadaLand. Check it out. Every time I come on the show, I leave a little bit richer. This is what we're here for. We're just trying to help you. And uh, of course, you should be using FreshBooks, who are also the sponsors of this program. And I don't know if you just filed your taxes like the rest of us, Paul, but uh, if you haven't been using FreshBooks, it was probably very annoying to get the full reporting of how much HST you charged and paid last year, all of your expenses, how much money you made. It's just a lot easier if you use FreshBooks. You'll get paid quicker. You'll look more professional. It's very easy to use. It's stupidly simple to use. You'll save boatloads of time on your invoicing and you'll focus on your actual business, not your paperwork. You'll get paid faster. On average, FreshBooks customers get paid five days faster and you can use it anywhere through their mobile app. Go to freshbooks.com and tell them who sent you. You can try it out for free. Thank you, FreshBooks. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Well, here we are leaving the roundabout. Getting the fuck out of Dodge, I can feel the heat here. So we're in downtown Fort McMurray, it almost looks like a bit of a tornado. That That's going right by the fire station. This area has just gone from clear to black. Well, it's a disaster and I find that it's not fair. They didn't even let us take our things and when we asked them. 
So we lost everything now. It's just not there anymore. I guess we don't know. This is still breaking. The fire is still raging on. We'll see what's left, but it's really hard to imagine that town ever being the, the same after this. Fort McMurray is such a strange case, too, because there are just so many people with ties to it all across the country. I mean, you know, I, you know I'm from Nova Scotia, so I've had family who lived out there. My own brother just lived out there for a few years. And there's just something really darkly ironic about this town of transplants from all over this country now having to be physically transplanted out of their new home because it's just burning down around them. I mean, it's it's just heartbreaking. And, and the images, I mean, it's like something out of Mad Max. You just see all of the fire on the horizon. I can't even imagine what it's like just having to basically drive away and leave your entire city to be destroyed by flames. It's just awful. There's sort of a holy shit factor when you're looking at this and when you're watching the footage and through social media, you get access to this in ways that usually you don't. It's apocalyptic. It looks like hell. The entire city looks like it's burning down and the human drama of this and the bravery people are showing, it, it, it bears repeating, not just that our hearts go out to them, but yeah. I think we're going to collect the stories in days to come of just how people came together. For the purposes of this show, talking about what local news did, what Fort McMurray Today did, and I'm thinking of reports by Vincent McDermott and Cullen Bird, where they were just doing that, that task of running towards danger not so that we can look at these insane explosions from a safe distance, but so that people there can know where to go, so that people have a sense of whether to go north or south, where to find their loved ones. People turned to journalism in these times, and it, it was local news that I think did the heavy lifting and, and took on the danger. So, you know, word up there. Yeah, and I don't know if people really realize how dangerous that is. There was some incredible video that came out of CBC in uh, Nova Scotia, I don't know, six years ago or so, and they were just shooting a fire, and within like 30 seconds, just so, so quickly, it was all around them. They had to just run for their car and drive away as fast as they could. I mean, it was just shocking to watch, and I think we don't really realize how quickly fire can spread. So one of the miracles about this whole thing is that I think we're up to, last I checked, like 1,600 structures destroyed, more than 80,000 people have been moved, and no fatalities so far. I mean, that's just miraculous. But anyway, yeah, those local reporters, and all the credit to them, that is tough stuff to cover, and it's incredibly dangerous. Yeah, for an entire city to be evacuated, this is a major thing that just happened. The repercussions, I think, are, are going to be tremendous. Continuing to look at the media, I think, you know, Rosie Barton was live with her politics show when I think we started to get a sense of just how dire this was, and people were kind of pinging me and saying, how come she's still talking about politics? She got there. She did. She switched over and started, yeah, doing some good live uh, sort of coverage of what was going on, yeah. Yeah, and was calm and level-headed, and I think that we could kind of quibble about whether that happened soon enough, but that's a tough position to be in, and she was the one who happened to be on the air, and she took on that anchor position. I think she did so with confidence and aplomb. So just from our early vantage point here looking at the coverage, I think that everybody's really rose to the occasion. I'm already looking at the fallout, the repercussions and the conversation. And that might be premature, or some might say that it's premature, but I think that we're already seeing it play out, right? We're already seeing the discourse around this take shape. And I think that these early moments are important. So, Paul, like, what is the forbidden term in Canada today? Sorry, what? 
Oh, are you talking about the climate change thing? What are we talking about? Climate change. You got it, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if okay. you say climate change in the context of this fire, scorn will be heaped upon you. And we're seeing that play out on, on social media. And, you know, the, Ezra Levant and, and minions are there to kind of pounce on anyone who makes that connection. And I want, I want to preface this by saying it is foul, those few people who say, oh, this is karma, or I told you so, or they're getting what's coming to them. I mean, if they are getting what's coming to them, then we all deserve that because there's just no moral difference between taking that bitumen out of the ground and burning it here. So I think that that discourse, which is a fringe discourse that a few sour... Oh yeah, those are some online trolls who uh, frankly should just be completely ignored. I mean, that's an asinine thing to say. It's an interesting discussion. I mean, Elizabeth May came out today and and essentially used this as uh, a hook to talk about essentially winding down the oil sands. And a lot of people got really turned off on it, understandably. I mean, it, it seemed to be really just co-opting a tragedy for, to make a political point. It's an awkward thing. I mean, you look at it and you're like, geez, it is unseasonably warm in that area of the country. I mean, but you can't exactly draw a direct line to climate change. It's like the people who say, you know, climate change isn't real because it's cold out or that it is real because it happens to be hot out on that given day. I mean, I, I don't think you can just draw a direct line to it at all. These types of wild forest fires happen before and they'll happen again. I don't think there's anything wrong with this just being used to eventually talk about climate change and talk about, like, essentially the system we're setting up of having, you know, these remote communities that are doing all this oil extraction and, like, that's fine, but you're not going to get any traction on that today because right now people are still watching it play out in real time. Yeah, I think that there's some interesting stuff here that I want to kind of put into focus. This idea that it's insensitive or opportunistic to talk about that context, that we're, we're still focused on the people. We're still focused on their safety. So to talk about these repercussions or these connections, but we're already doing that. Like if you look in like Globe and Mail report on business, we're already looking on what is the impact on the economy? What's the impact on oil consumption? What's it going to do to our dollars? So, you know, the idea that politics is a dirty thing to talk talk about when there's still people's lives at risk. We already do that. And it's okay to do that when you're talking about politics vis-a-vis -vis money. You know, and politics is just about reality and the impact of things and power. It's a very Canadian thing. I mean, it's no different really than whenever anyone dies. This idea that you have to give it a week or so before you can talk about whether or not they were actually a good person or not. You know, like, like when Jim Flaherty died. Yeah. To actually have a frank discussion about his economic record. I mean, if you tried to do that the day it happened, there were people who just said, you can't do that. You cannot do this. This is a time of mourning. And I've always just sort of rolled my eyes at that because exactly, you can have two conversations on the same day. I think so. And I think it's kind of like the other side of this is like, well, why wouldn't you talk? I mean, the, the fact of the matter is that extreme weather events as a result of climate change have been becoming political crises, humanitarian crises around the world, rising sea levels, extreme weather events, wildfires themselves in the Western United States, there's like four times as many than there were in the 80s. And even like this year, it's a record hot year. In Saskatchewan, there are 102 wildfires so far this year. Last year, there were only 81. There's 13 burning right now in Saskatchewan. So the connection between Fort McMurray and the role that it plays in fossil fuel extraction is, of course, what's on everyone's mind. Of course, that's what we're going to talk about. It, it's sort of a silly argument to say that you shouldn't talk about the repercussions of something or the broader issues. You should wait until after people have moved on and aren't paying attention to actually start talking about it. It really makes no sense when you kind of lay it out like that. That's it. Like, maybe this is the opportunity where we see, you know what, we are not exempt. There is no, like, trial where you're like, aha, this is a direct link. It was climate change. We found the murderer. No, this is a, a situation where the world is hotter and drier than ever before. These are conditions for wildfire. And so I have to say, if it happened in another town, it would not be the same story. And you brought up irony before, the irony of seeing 
people from Fort McMurray locked on a highway in their cars with these flames all around them to, to see them, you know, the highway engulfed in flames, many of them being forced to drive north, not to a city, to Edmonton, but to an oil project, right? They're driving up to the oil sands to huddle for safety as gas stations explode all around them. This is the stuff of bad fiction. Like if Stephen King were to write a novel where like the demon spirit that haunts a small town turns out to be the oil itself that they are in, like it would be a shitty novel and and it, it would be just like this. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, no, certainly. I, I do sympathize a little bit for the people who are so caught up in the moment to moment that they just do not want to have this discussion at all. But I mean, also, I'm not really sure... I mean, what's the end goal of this conversation based on Fort McMurray? It's one thing to have a wider conversation about climate change, but I mean, what is the specific takeaway of this event? I'm not really sure that Fort McMurray right now is going to be a very useful rhetorical device for anyone who, let's say, is in Elizabeth May's party. I, I, I'm just, I'm fine with having the conversation. I just, uh, I don't think it's necessarily going to have a big impact right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that environmental stories are some of the hardest stories for journalists to tell, and... I realize we're treading into territory of like, you know, exploitation. We are watching stories play out and they involve people. And all of a sudden the story of, I mean, wildfires, we didn't hear about those 13 wildfires that are raging in Saskatchewan. We don't talk about that, but now we have these pictures and we have these stories because it involves people and because of the irony of it being Fort McMurray. Well, maybe that's really the long-term value of something like this in terms of public discourse is that those stories about wildfires that wouldn't have been reported before now are going to be, there's going to be just a more of an awareness of this. And this is something that over time, people start to think about more and people start to think about its ties to climate change more. And it probably is something that takes months more than you're going to see an impact in the next couple of days. Yeah, I, I hear you. And I, and I also just feel like the idea of somebody listening to this whose life is, is being transformed or really damaged, I don't want to add to that suffering. But now is when people are talking about this. Yeah, because I mean, at a certain point, it could be interpreted as basically using the evacuation and destruction of someone's home to argue for them to also lose their job, you know, I mean, which I know is not what you're meaning. I know it's not really what anyone means. But it just, you do feel kind of awkward having that conversation while people are literally on the roads fleeing this fire as it's going on. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. Anyhow, immediate things first, safety and, and courage to everybody there. And, and of course, Red Cross is collecting donations for this. So Yeah, and we've got, uh, I mean, military planes being mobilized now, uh, but takes all this on the fact that no one's been seriously hurt or killed yet from what we can tell. I, I hope those words are still true by the time people are hearing this. I mean, and that is just incredible. And I think that that's probably to the credit of a lot of people and their bravery there. So Margaret Wente, Paul. Oh, we're talking about Wente, are we? <laughs> Not really. I think that, you know, that the, the strategy of the Globe and Mail is just to like ride it out and maybe people will stop talking about Wente. Who wants to talk about Wente? The thing is, we keep finding new plagiarism. I mean, I don't know what to do about this. Like, should we stop talking about it just because, you know, they want to stop talking about it? Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, I wish they would just acknowledge it. And if they want to say they don't believe what Marguente did was plagiarism, or if they think it was plagiarism and they don't think it was a fireable form of plagiarism, I just really would like to hear the case. I mean, we wrote a story about a... Margaret Wente column that was, we thought, very strikingly similar to a New York Times book review that was written 10 days earlier. And, you know, we wrote to her to give her a chance to comment, but I also CC'd Sylvia Stead on it, and we never heard back, and we never really got... The public editor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the public editor. And, you know, there was, of course, the dual corrections that didn't even mention her by name or tie them together. And it's just... If you want to defend her, that's fine, but let's actually talk about it and let's actually hash it out. And I wish they would because the silence is just getting awkward at this point. 
two corrections that are sort of printed separately, like they're unrelated to each other yeah. about unattributed quotes. The P word isn't mentioned, neither of them, Peggy or plagiarism. And then a little ominous, Margaret Wente will be back. She, she's been absent from the paper. I don't know if this is one of the, her secret punishments or what. In any event, a intrepid listener of Canada Land has written a Margaret Wente bot that is interrogating her old columns for borrowed phrases. We found a few more through this bot with the help of this uh, of this tool. So we'll publish that, and it's up on our website by the time you're listening to this, CanadaLandShow.com. Maybe we'll keep them coming. Maybe it'll be the Wente Wednesdays, depending on how many of these we find. There's like three or four more in there, and people can determine for themselves whether this is just summarizing, plagiarism. It's a fun game you can play at home. Check it out online. Hi, I'm Patrick McGuire, the head of content at Vice Canada. And right now I'm standing on a dock in Shoal Lake 40. We all know Prime Minister Trudeau used to be a teacher, but one of the first things the Chief Red Sky said to him was that this was going to be a learning day. I want to learn all about uh, uh, what's happened here, what's going on here. and I want to... Where to begin? Well, I guess just to summarize the media fallout of, of this visit, this uh, historic visit of Justin Trudeau to the reserve uh, Shoal Lake 40, where media were locked out but for vice. And post-media, Global TV, Globe and Mail, CTV, and other major news organizations have registered protests with the PMO. Robert Fife, Globe Mail's Ottawa bureau chief, said, my problem is that Trudeau is excluding Canadian media from the visit to a First Nations reserve, an important national story given the rash of suicides and other troubles facing Indigenous communities. Vice's point of view is we got an exclusive. Everybody wants an exclusive. We plan this in advance. And Fife is essentially saying that's all well and good, but the news context, even though you planned this this uh, documentary with Trudeau months in advance, things have changed since then. And Trudeau's relationship with First Nations after uh, the rash of suicides at Ottawa, everything that's happening, the states of emergency in all these communities, it's different now. And it made me uncomfortable to see Patrick McGuire, the head of content advice, and Justin Trudeau, these two white guys having this interview where I was reading tweets from Aboriginal People's Television Network about how they were being escorted off of the reserve by the cops. That was awkward. Oh, it was more than awkward. I mean, it was Soviet. Yeah, having one media outlet exclusively have rights to our glorious leader going and doing these heartfelt conversations while other reporters are being turfed off the island. I mean, it was very difficult to watch. I actually, you know, as much as I, I hate to defend our uh, heated digital rivals advice. I don't think they did anything wrong. They weren't the ones who had anything to do with who could come or who could not come. It looks like the chief and the council of Shulek 40 themselves were the ones who made that decision. I mean, other than a couple of vice writers who just put out some unbelievably stupid tweets, I don't think they did anything organizationally wrong. But yeah, no, everyone should be made uncomfortable with that. I mean, this was a newsworthy event this was not a private thing where Trudeau was going and just meeting with the, the people. There were cameras on him the entire time. It is, as far as I can tell, unprecedented. People try to say exclusives happen. Not like this. I've never seen anything like this. And I think it's the last time we'll see it because it just backfired on them so much. The purported reason for not wanting other reporters to go was they didn't want it to be like a media circus. Well, that's exactly what ended up happening by not letting other reporters go. I agree mostly. I want to talk about Vice in a minute, but I think you're right. Like the error here was on the part of the PMO. And, you know, it was actually, it wasn't just the media. There was like a teenage girl from a neighboring reserve from Shoal Lake 39 was denied entry. She snuck in and actually asked 
Trudeau a question about missing and murdered indigenous women. So if she's looking for any freelance work, consider us impressed over here. It was a bad press day. And it was obviously like being set up and staged as another glorious photo op for our glorious leader, who's had a string of really wonderful photo ops that have inured him to a lot of criticism. And I think have even made a scandal with this Saudi arms thing kind of go away. We should be very aware of how good this government is at setting these things up. Yeah, they're completely masterful. I mean, no one's going to turn down an exclusive opportunity like this, and I don't expect Vice to, but I mean, the footage they've released so far, at least, he looks fantastic in this. He looks like the sympathetic guy coming in to fix all the problems. I mean, this is going to work out great for them. I wonder if all the media outrage is, is getting through uh, and speaks as loud as those pictures of this guy with his you know shirt sleeves rolled up and he's, he's helping out on the reserve like we never saw previous prime ministers doing. I do have a little bit of scrutiny for vice on this. You know, like I said, the image alone of Patrick McGuire, who, to my knowledge, the head of content, Patrick McGuire at Vice, has no background at all in covering Indigenous affairs. And even within Vice, they have journalists like Jarrett Martineau and, and Serene Carson Fox, who I think was there. But again, we see Patrick taking the interview. He's the one who's, who's interviewing the prime minister on this stuff. And again, while APTN is locked out. I found it unfortunate. It makes me wonder, is this a photo op for both parties as opposed to journalism? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll reserve judgment until the actual doc comes out. But uh, they did look terrible. It did look like a big vanity project on all sides, especially once you, you force away the APTN guys. Like, they took a boat to get there and all that. And once you're turning them away, because no, 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 this is our thing. This is our little tete-a-tete. It, yeah, it looked absolutely awful at that point. Yeah, I can only go by the footage they've released so far. It looks, and as I say, I think it, it looks like it's just going to work out really, really well for both of them. Um, maybe they do really grill him right afterwards and they're saving that for the doc. I don't know. I think we saw the full interview between Patrick and Justin Trudeau. I think that there's other stuff in the doc. I took special note that shortly thereafter, Trudeau's uh, heritage minister, Melanie Jolie, was visiting Vice's offices and sort of praising this wonderful digital workplace. Melanie Jolie, of course, name-checked Vice when talking about how CBC could improve. She said they should be more like Vice. I'm paying close attention to this connection between Vice and all of the things one might say about Vice and the fact that it's an American company when you've got Canadian media locked out from an event like this. <laughs> I cannot wait for your future scandal about the kickbacks between Vice and the Trudeau PMO. These guys are incredibly media savvy. They want to get to a certain audience. They want to get to an audience that they believe Vice will get them. They did a big sit down with Vice during the election. Again, I don't blame Vice in any way. I don't expect them to say no to it, but like, you know, others of us have been trying to get sit-downs with the Prime Minister and we haven't got them. And, you know, there's always journalism grumbling about that. I just really hope that the doc that they eventually make is a little bit more nuanced than what we've we've seen so far. A lot of B-shot cutaways to, like, piles of garbage and stuff like that. And Yeah. I mean, literally helicoptering in for this... Uh Concern trolling? I mean, yeah. I mean, we'll see. You know, it's funny. This should have been such a win for both sides. If if Vice just hadn't, you know, made a big deal about it beforehand, and then again, some a couple of people just tweeting the most insane thing. Like, you know, when the when the APTN reporter was uh, tweeting about being taken away, and then you know, one Vice writer uh, retweeting it with the words "Bravo." Yeah, Manisha. That's got to be the first time 
ever. I mean, even the Sun News, this never happened, where a reporter is publicly applauding the RCMP enforcing their exclusive access to a, a prime minister and cracking down on the competition. I mean, that was bizarre. And she later said she was joking, but it didn't seem like she was at the time because her other tweets were consistent with that. So <laughs> I don't know what that was about. She said, I've deleted the tweets because Twitter is so serious tonight. I guess, you know, we, we, nobody could take a joke. Yeah, okay. So, like, I feel like Vice is kind of being singled out because of them, some of the things like like that, uh, there's a guy who called it like a boat ambush when the people were coming from uh, Show Like 39 over and stuff. And th- so a couple of just blunders like that really made Vice look like the bad guy in this. But like I say, I'm not really ready to throw them under the bus because, eh, you know, they're doing a doc and they got the prime minister, they got all this exclusive footage. I don't think there's a single media organization in Canada that would have turned that down and I wouldn't expect them to. No, and they're doing a doc. They're doing a show on Indigenous uh, issues. Like they're throwing resources into this and... Who wouldn't want to see that actually amount to more than, as you put it, a vanity project? I mean, that would be the best outcome here. So I don't discount them fully either. It's just you can't ignore these things as they pop up and it doesn't always look great. No, it doesn't. And this one, I mean, it's really too bad. This could have been a, uh, an interesting historical thing and then it got really clouded by this controversy that I don't, I don't think needed to happen. I mean, it wasn't like the Globe and Mail and Star and everyone was going to be able to get reporters there. They should have just let APTN in to ask Trudeau some questions as well. This all could have been avoided. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next time. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. And we're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Paul, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can find my stories at BuzzFeed Canada. I'm on Twitter at PD McLeod. That's P-D-M-C-L-E-O-D. And I uh, tweet out a lot of stuff about Canadian politics. Our website is canadalandshow.com. And our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of Canada Land will be up on Monday. The next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up on Tuesday. I make this show with Kevin Sexton. Russell Gregg handles the syndication to campus and community radio stations across the country. If you are listening to this on Thursday, May the 5th, and you live in Victoria, BC, I will be recording a live Canada Land at UVic. Check out our Facebook page for ticket details. If you like what we do, please support us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.